If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and turn to the book uh, that has the collection of songs written by the Jews. Okay, turn to Psalms. How's that sound? Is that better? You're like, what's he talking about today? Turn to the collection of songs written by the Jews. Now, while you're doing that, I want to encourage you to get your fingers ready. Stretch them real good. Let's uh, get ready to dig in this morning because we're going to be getting a really good overview this morning of this book in a short amount of time. In fact, our new series begins today. It's called Live, uh, Worship 101, Living a Life of Praise. And Jeff, I feel like I'm, I'm just having to talk extra loud. If you could give me a little more. I'm, I don't have a lot of voice from this week left, so I'd appreciate that. Uh, living a Life of Praise, Worship 101. We're going to talk for several weeks about various psalms. And we're beginning a study through the book of Psalms, which is the, the book of praises, songs, and poems by the Jewish people. It would be their hymn book, or their praise book. Their worship guide, so to speak. Now, I told someone earlier that we will be teaching through Psalms and they just about left the church. They said 150 weeks in one book, you know, they were laughing. I said, no, no, no. We're going to take selected ones and I'll show you today how we're going to do that. But I want to say at the outset, we are venturing into a minefield. The topic of worship is a hotbed. You know that. You can go to any church in this city. You can go to any church in any other city. And you can mention this word and uh, folks will have some definite opinions, won't they? Now, I don't know why that is, per se. I think it touches the emotional heartstrings of all of us. And you have some strong opinions. So I want you to know that as we get in this five or six week series that we're going to probably have moments in which you'll feel tension. That's okay if it leads to positive action. Now, let me just kind of illustrate this uh this hotbed we're in. Everyone do this. Everyone clap. Good. You're pretty comfortable with that. Um, everyone raise one hand like this. Now, you don't have a question, do you? Okay, anything so. Now, do this. Raise both hands. Yeah. For some of you, that was the first time in a while you've done that. I'm really proud of you. Way to go. Now, holding your hands up, say, praise God. Praise God, yeah. Somebody says, well, I've never, I don't do that. I've never done that. Now, now, just offer to God a sacrifice like this. Hold your hands up and, and now close your eyes. You know, there are folks that worship like that. They offer to God what they're singing. In fact, why don't you do this? Bow your heads for a moment and be reflective. Now, look up here at me. And all those things that you just did are different visual ways people Worship. And there's a lot more. But go to any church and you'll find an awkwardness sometimes with somebody will raise their hands to lift praise to God and others will be like, you know, they're going to get there. Just, and, and then they think hey, this person's more spiritual, which may not even be true. Sometimes you go to church and they're like clapping and hollering. Some say, man, I like the word, you know it. And in our church, you're welcome to say, you know it anytime. Amen's good. But you know it's kind of more my language. So if I say something you like, you know it. That'd be fine with me. So try that one. Are you ready? You know it. Yeah, I can work with that. You know, and kind of a sports center version of of Amen for our church, right? Um, just any phrases like that, anything people do. You know what? It's it's often how people worship. It's how they bring their praise to God. Some play an instrument, some sing out loud. But but in church, when you do these kind of things, it suddenly sometimes it creates an uncomfortableness. You know why? Because it's a hotbed. People don't, they, want, they want you a lot of times to let them just leave them alone and they'll leave you alone. And I'm just not sure, sure that that's really what God has in mind 
when He calls us to worship together. And what what we're shooting for is authenticity, not automation. True? I mean, Michael shouldn't feel like, oh, this is when everybody's got to raise their hand. Bless God, you know. I mean, that's really not worship. There should be a freedom to be authentic before God. That's what we're after. So you know what's cool is at First Family, it may be that someone on this row is, is in reflective praise. Their head is bowed. could be that the person right behind them, is their hands are lifted. God wires us all differently to offer our praise in the way He made us. But here's the key. Do it in an authentic way. Whatever you do, don't show up with nothing to bring to God. God calls you to a life of worship. And we're going to talk a lot about that. Here's another reason it's a hotbed. It's because we have tried to define worship, the word worship, within the confines of church. And to be more specific with you, we've tried to define worship within the context and the confines of church singing. Now, Right now you're saying to me, not me, Todd, I'm, I'm on the contemporary side of this thing. I've got the jargon down to be, you know, in the 21st century, really. I challenge you on that. I bet all of us here, probably to a, to a person, have said phrases like this. How did worship go today? And by that, you know what you mean? How did the singing go today? You know you meant that. Then don't try to get out of it now. You didn't mean my teaching time. You didn't mean when you gave your offerings to God or when you greeted folks, which I think is all part of a collective worship. Horizontal exhortation. There's vertical praise. Well, you probably, like I did, you meant how did the singing go? You see, we try to define worship in the, in the confines of it. And that's a negative. That's, that's very unfortunate because God calls us to live a life of worship. Not just go to a worship service. Some other phrases I've heard, and, and you said these, I've said these, I heard them this week, in fact. Who is your worship leader? Now, what to mean by that is, who leads the singing part of your worship? True? Did you know that at our church, and I'll say this, this will sound egotistical, but I'm going to say it because I think it's, it's true, that... Our staff are the worship leaders. How you worship and approach God when we gather together is probably very dependent in some ways upon what your leaders do. If you see elders and, and people that have, have really agreed to serve you, just no matter what Steve does as the singing portion worship leader, how's that for a title? You know, you're going to be like, man, I just, you know, I, I tell you something, in fact, uh, in some tra- in some trains of thought, they say that the pastor is really your church's most important worship leader. Because he'll set the tone and, and people watch. And so I'm saying to you this, that even in our terminology, our titles, and our words, you know what we do? We make worship singing. I call you to a place where worship is far greater than that. Now, I don't know how we adjust all the terminology. Because I'm in the same boat you are. I use it the same way you do. Phrases like... Um, uh, what style of worship do you prefer? We mean what style of singing. So I don't know how we get out of this boat. Okay? Because worship does include singing. Amen? I mean, just read the Psalms. It's their hymn book. So it's not that that's a wrong statement. I think, though, it's a confining statement. And so when you come to church and you hear things like, how'd worship go? 
I'm going to start saying this. Well, we had a great hour and a half. Which part are you talking about? Because the truth is, here's what I hope for. I hope that as I'm speaking at times, or as Steve is leading you, or as someone greets you and says, hey, how's your week? Or as your small group leader embraces you and asks how things are going in your Bible study, that they call from you a response to God. That's worship. When you respond to God because of who He is and what He does, and you give Him then everything you have, whether you're in the hallway, whether you're here singing, whether right now in your heart you're like, God, that's really what I want for my life. As you read the Scriptures, as we talk about the Bible, as your heart cries out to God and responds to Him, that's a moment of worship. Worship just doesn't kick in when that door opens and you walk in. Amen? Worship should be something that goes on 24-7 when your heart responds to all that God is and all that He does. So I call you to a place in the next several weeks where we will use the word worship appropriately. That means at your home. You may have to adjust the way you talk about church a little bit. Like, hey, how did, uh, how did the musical part go today? How did Todd do it getting us to worship with him in the Word? You know, I was thinking this week about this. Some of our oldest traditional churches actually had it most correct. At least when it comes to what we call this portion of church. Have you ever been to an old traditional church and they have the actual... They call it an order of service. They print it in their like weekly folder, their bulletin. Which I thought, wow, man, I hope God got a memo of this so he'll know what to do when he shows up, you know. But uh, they print that right in there. Now watch this. They would print things like this. Worship and song. You've seen that, haven't you? Then they'd put worship and giving. And so no matter what happened in their corporate time together, it was a worship and it was in something else. So say what you want about traditionalism. Say what you want about old-fashioned. They probably had it pretty close to right, at least in their terminology. Romans 12, verse 2. Don't turn there right now, but it gives us a great verse to kind of sum up what should be our attitude towards worship. Romans 12, 2 says this. Offer your bodies. This is your reasonable act of worship. Not just offer your voices. Not just offer your money, but offer everything, all of you. And really, that's reasonable. That's what's expected. I want to share with you, on the piece of paper there in front of you, or, or in your study tool or your teaching tool, write this phrase. Write, life of worship. A life of worship. I just want to show you an interesting play on, on letters here that God just really showed me this week. Write a life of worship somewhere. When we make worship automated, when we make worship segmented, then it's like taking the F out of life. Our worship then becomes a lie. And so I caution everyone here, including me, all of us, watch segmenting and compartmentalizing your worship to to certain things like You merely mean singing or you really mean church on Sunday. You know what? We're called to a life of worship, offering everything to God 24-7. When that's not what's going on, we may resemble more of a lie of worship. Just coming in, going through the motions. And so, getting to the heart of this whole worship thing and understanding how the Hebrews did it and the Jews did it and some of their motivation is is a lot of the motivation in this series. I hope to accomplish a couple things. I'm going to show you on the screen some goals I have for you. Because I want you to be very clear about what I'm after, okay? First of all, I want to show you, first of all, through the next several weeks, that worship is a seven-day pursuit 
not a one-day program. Worship is also an ongoing lifestyle, not a sporadic liturgy. Amen? If the only time you worship is when you come in here, um, I'll say this kindly, but pointing a finger at a church and saying, hey, I don't think I worship when I'm there, that's really an issue in the mirror, not on the window. If the only time you think you can worship or that you really want to worship is when you're in here, man, you're missing the whole boat of what a lifestyle of worship is. I like this next phrase. Worship, I'm going to show you over the next several weeks, is really an outer flow. Excuse me, an overflow, not an outer show. Amen? Now, you call me idealistic. But I envision, and I've read a good bit of 1 Corinthians 11 through 13, 11 through 14, which is really the God's guide for corporate worship is in those chapters. And as I read it, here's kind of how worship really ought to work when the saints gather we ought to be coming together in such a passionate way that really everything that we have felt about God and for God and in response to God for the last six days kind of just like boils over on Sunday. Like you can't keep it in. But the problem is, most people don't worship Monday through Saturday. We don't lift our, now, we don't lift our hands in... Well, you do in the shower, don't you? You lift your hands in the shower when you're driving. I've seen you guys drive. Man, you guys are, are rocking out in the car. I mean, you turn up the CD and you're singing, your mouth's open, and then you realize the person beside you is watching. You're like, whoa, you know. And a lot of you don't care. You sing anyway. Why can't we fill our church with driver's seats? That's what we ought to do. You know, give everybody their own little seat and a steering wheel and put your CD in, right? No, here's what I'm saying. All week long, Monday through Saturday, man, we ought to be praising God and worshiping, lifting our hands, our voices, and, and responding to Him. And then when that, we gather with other believers, that just overflows. And you know what? I'll just be very, very frank here. I know a lot of, it's easy to sometimes point to the people up front and say, you know what? We didn't generate a worship feeling today. But you may tell you where worship feelings are generated? Not from the front, but from the heart. And when you come in those doors, and I come in these doors with a heart that says, man, God, I've been waiting six days to be with people I love, people who love you, who are rightly related. I can't wait to worship with them. You couldn't get a, a band to play bad enough to stop you. Why do you think sometimes you can go to China, Russia, fourth world countries like Haiti, where they don't even have electricity? They eat clay. There's some folks with a two and a half mile square, two and a half square mile portion of Haiti outside Port au Prince. 400,000 people live in this two and a half mile, square mile area. That's almost impossible. You real estate folks, you're probably thinking there's no way. There's not room for anybody to lay down, hardly. They're, they're just complete beggars. There's a church there. It's, I think, 145 different congregations that meet in that area. One guy pastors them. His name is Pastor Sabian. He has uh, uh, no electricity. The folks there are so hungry, they put clay in their mouth just to be able to have something to chew on. They get a gallon of water a day. That's all they get. And a lot of times that water comes from places you don't really want to discuss right now. We asked Pastor Savior, where do you live? He said, on a picnic table. And so the pastor with me said, you mean you, no, like your home. He said, I don't have a home. He said, you just didn't have a home. I just sleep on the picnic table and minister to my people. So you're saying, well, well, man, I want to go there. What would you do as an American there have a worship service. Where's the band? Hey, you know, you've got to slow it down now. Well, we've got to 
And I'm as guilty as you are. You know me, I love celebration. It can never be too rowdy for me. You know that. I mean, I'm a party guy. And I like it loud, and I like it fast, and I like it upbeat. But what am I going to go up there and say, hey, come on, where's the drums? No. Can they not worship? You bet they can. You know why? Because worship doesn't start from a stage. Worship comes from the Spirit. And I challenge you as your pastor, with kindness in my voice, but boldness in my backbone. It is not dependent upon how well they do or how well I do. We're part of the equation. But you know what the bigger part is? Is what's your heart like when you walk in that door? And I promise you, a heart that's been worshiping Monday through Saturday in everyday events, the, the, the family that holds their hands together and listens to God and praises when no one's looking, who genuinely worships a couple that prays together and sings in the car out loud, a family that rejoices when things happen and, and shares about the good news. When that happens and you come in here, you shouldn't feel intimidated about sharing that and, and being exuberant for God, man. Lift your voice. Praise God. Say, you know it. You know what I'm saying? Be thankful. Worship can't be stopped when it's really from the heart. That's why. And I'll just be very, I'll even be more frank here. We're going to get to Psalms, don't worry. I go to some places to speak. And this really, really happens here because there's such a really close knit here. You guys love the Bible, and there's a real spirit here of, of spiritual passion. But I go to some places, and, um, and I get riled up, I get revved up. And I'm pouring my heart out, and I'm speaking from, from deep beliefs and passion. And I get done and, and people say, man, you don't really fit around here. I'll say, why? I said, well, we just don't feel things that strongly. Now, what happened? Did I go in, and this is not to build me up at all, I promise you, but did I become a, a thermometer and just resemble the temperature? No. Because worship in the heart cannot be stopped. Now, was I looked at kind of funny? Did I feel a little awkward when they're staring at me like, man, why is he yelling at me? Well, I'm not yelling at you. But sometimes passion just breathes within. You feel strongly. You feel God's Spirit bringing you to a place where you want to resound praise to Him. And you know what? And it just kind of comes out like that. Do I feel awkward? Do I feel kind of strange? Yeah. Especially when you spit and the person right beside you is kind of like, man, he spit on me. That's just not what you like to hear. But you know what? I refuse to be a thermometer. I refuse to resemble the temperature of cold, lukewarm Christians around me. Amen? And when you come into this service, when you're part of First Family Church, worship cannot be stopped if it's been going on Monday through Saturday. I think Stephen need to keep you down, probably. Keep you calm. No, you can't share anymore. You've had 20 minutes. Just calm down for a second. This guy wants to share over here. There's so much in First Corinthians about corporate worship that we're going to study one day that really is, would just amaze you. But I just want to share with you as we begin... Part of my goal in this series is to bring you to a place where it's authentic, not automated, where it's an overflow, it's ongoing. I hope you'll understand the word worship and begin to use it correctly to identify a seven-day-a-week lifestyle. Now, nobody knew that better than the Jews. You've got your Bible turned to Psalms there, don't you? Let me talk to you about this actual book of Psalms and why it explains for us so, much, so clearly what I call 24-7 worship. The book of Psalms is the history of their life of worship. It is full of personal worship. It's full of corporate worship. It is a book about how they celebrated God. Not just in, in times when there was a party. But let me give you some instances here. Just listen very carefully. You may want to jot these down. And you'll have lots of notes here to take in a minute. So get your pen ready. Get your fingers ready. There's in the Psalms, there are, are situations of how they responded to Him in times of tragedy. Psalm 88 91. 
How they praised Him in times of victory. Psalm 92 and 66. How they conversed with Him in times of confusion and anger. Psalm 73. How they cared for each other in times of need. Psalm 23. Psalm 37. Psalm 42. How they repented and confessed in times of disobedience. Psalm 32 and 51. How they found God in times of loneliness. Psalm 71. And how they felt about the Word of God. Psalm 119. You know what this does? Psalms chronicles their life, not just on the Sabbath, which was their worship day. Psalms chronicles their life every single day. That's the kind of worship life I want. I want to be able to get up on Tuesday morning and say, God, I'm looking forward to worshiping you today. I can't wait to sing to your name with my kids. I mean, I tell you, what we sing on Sunday when our kids are in that first part of the service, man, that's what my kids sing all week long. Last week, I was, uh, week before that, I said, hey, kids, could you learn a new song maybe? Like we did the same thing every day. You know, they sing it all week long. Instead of having that, I'll say, man, I'm going to sing with you. I want every day to be an experience of worship with God. And I pray that for you as well. Now, if Psalms is a snapshot into the worship life of a Jew, um, and it chronicles the Hebrews' life, it would be good for us to know then from these Psalms how that looks and what that's like and, and understand their heartbeat. Let me show you some things about Psalms that prove even further how it's, it's, it's chronic, it chronicles their, their life. If you know much about the Jews, they, the first five books of the Old Testament is called what? The Law. The big word for that is called the Pentateuch. Penta means five. And so it's the five books that talk about their initial journeys. Did you know most scholars believe that the, the Psalms, there are five books within the Psalms. Most scholars believe, and it's true, that those Psalms represent the first five books of the Old Testament. In other words, just as the Pentateuch chronicles the initial beginning and wanderings and, and victory of the Jews, so Psalms chronicles their life of beginnings and victories and, and bondage as well. Let me show you what I mean, in fact. Just drop this note down. More of a textual overview of the book of Psalms. Watch this with me. Book 1 is Psalms 1 through 41. And by the way, each of these books, you can lose in your Bible, in fact. Look at Psalm 41. You can look at each of these ending chapters. Each of these closing chapters ends with a doxology to God. Either the word praise or the word blessed. It's a conclusion to that section of songs or praises. These are the beginning psalms here. They talk about man with God. Then you go to the next set of psalms, which is Psalms 42 through 72. They correspond to Exodus and talk a lot about slavery and bondage and freedom. Book 3 of the psalms is Psalms 73 through 89. They talk a lot about tabernacle worship. In fact, in Psalm 73, the very phrase is, When I came into your presence, speaking there of the tabernacle. It corresponds to Leviticus very well. Book 4 is Psalm 90 through 106 and talks a lot about wanderings. And then Psalm 107 through 150 it corresponds to Deuteronomy because much of the theme is deliverance and victory. So, I'm simply showing you this morning that the Hebrews knew how to worship 24-7. And they wrote books that tell us how to do it. One of my goals is to help all of us read the Psalms and understand them so that we can be better equipped to live. Watch this. Not Sunday service worship, but 24-7 worship. Say, Todd, that's a high goal. It may be. But I'm going to give it my best shot for six weeks and mo- try to motivate and inspire and teach and, and disciple you to a life where when you say, how'd worship go today? You're actually asking me, man, what happened when the saints gathered? I mean, you don't just mean, how was the guitar strummed? 
Were they on key? You want to know, man, what God's Spirit do when we were together? And that you'd be okay if I asked you, hey, Michael, how did worship go Thursday? He's like, did I go to church Thursday? No, see, Michael didn't think, man, Todd, that day was a life of, of lips and praise to God. I mean, what if we talked that way? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Every night before bed, you'd ask your wife, hey, how'd worship go today? I didn't sing today. <laughs> you see, you said that back, right? But if we came to the place where we saw worship as the, as the Hebrews, as the Jews saw it, as a 24-7 response to all that God is and does. Let me show you some more things about the psalm that's interesting. Within these five books, oh, by the way, before we move on, Deb, let me show this. We're going to be selecting a psalm from each of these books each week to talk about, describe and teach you about it. So for the next five weeks, we're going to pick one book from each one to show how it resembles those initial books of, of the Hebrews, and then we're going to look in depth at it. And, uh, all the ones we're going to study are on our website, as you want to know, to read ahead in your small group. Uh, please do so. They're on the website. Just click on the calendar, and when you see Sunday Celebration Service, just put your mouse over that word, and the chapter will come up, and you'll be able to know where we're headed that week. Furthermore, let me show you, within these groupings, there are also different types of psalms. Let me show you further, in fact, how they uh, use these songs in all parts of their life. And this is going to be kind of uh, heavy duty here, so I'll just kind of read through them briefly. But these are all different types of songs. Now watch this. I want you to look halfway down the list where it says Sabbath psalms. See that? That was their day of worship, right? But you realize it's just one of many, isn't it? So they had songs and praises not just for their day of worship, but for their whole life. I'll say this to you. They were way beyond us. Look at this list. They had pilgrim songs, which were actually more technically called Psalms of Ascent. And they would sing these songs as they went to Jerusalem three times a year. They'd all be marching for their annual feast, and they'd just sing these songs. They were called, as they made their pilgrimage, pilgrim psalms. There were psalms here for weddings. Look at this. There were psalms for the first day of the week. That's cool. Not just their worship day, so to speak. There were psalms to dedicate temples. There were hallelujah psalms. There were all kinds of psalms. Here's what I'm showing you guys. They knew how to worship 24-7. Let's learn from them as well. Did you know that Psalms covers probably close to 900 years of Jewish history? It wasn't like somebody sat down and said, Hey, I'm going to write 20 worship songs today. Give me a harp. Gets a harp. Strum, strum. There's a worship song. They were a period of, of, of writings written by, by six, at least six different people. Probably 900 years. You know what that shows me? That they were a collection of praises and, and journalings, musical journalings, that describe their history. I'm just showing you proof positive. Psalms depicts for us the lifestyle of worship of the Jew. That's what I'm shooting for. I want to live a life of worship. Now, here's some other interesting DYKs. That's what we call them at First Family. We have moments when we have like, did you know moments. Let me share some other things about the Psalms with you before we look at one today as we close. Did you know that Psalms is the only book of the Bible quoted by Satan? As far as we know, Satan, at least in the Bible's record, never quoted Scripture except when he quoted Psalms. Do you know that at least six people wrote the Psalms? David, a man named Asaph, who was his choir director. Uh, the Sons of Kor, which is really an Old Testament band, what they were. Ethan. Solomon wrote one or two, and Moses even wrote a psalm. 
you know that Psalms contains the longest and shortest chapters in the Bible? Psalm 117 um, is, excuse me, the longest is 119. The shortest should be 117, not 118. And did you know that Psalm 118 is actually the very middle chapter of the Bible? Let me explain what I mean by that. You'll find this interesting. Watch this. Psalm 118 is the middle chapter. That means there are 594 chapters before it, and there are 594 chapters after it. Now watch this. This is kind of an interesting play on numbers here. Watch this. In the next screen I'll show this, Deb. If you take 594... Here it is, yeah. If you take 594 plus 594, add them up, you get 1188. If you take in the middle of the chapter of the Bible, Psalm 118. You know what? If you take 1188 and make it Psalm 118.8, here's what the verse says. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in man. That's a pretty good middle chapter verse, isn't it? You know, Psalms is a really unique book. Let's take one of these Psalms today and look at, at, at what it tells us just briefly about this idea of a life of worship. Turn to Psalm 103 real quickly. Now, I just want to show you this morning, this is an overview, probably one of the best Psalms to explain how to go about a life of worship. This psalm in 103 has 22 verses. It, it um, mirrors the Hebrew alphabet. Each of the verses begins with one of the letters because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Look what he says. I'm just going to show you this psalm. It's called a psalm of concentric circles, by the way. There are three circles here. And these circles show us how to live a life of worship. They bring us into the into the center of how these Hebrews did this. Look at Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Underline all of the personal pronoun references in these first five verses. Okay, you got a pen there handy? Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And do not forget all of His benefits. Here's His benefits. You ready? Watch this. He forgives all your sins. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. And as a result of that satisfaction, your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow. What awesome benefits from God. You see all the times there the word my or the word your, these singular references are used. This first, first circle is that circle of, of personal worship where David talks about himself. If you were to correlate that to today, it's like your worship. Your worship. It's not the church's worship. It's not how well they're doing. It's how am I worshiping. By the way, that is the most important circle. Amen? Write this down as like an action point, just briefly. Under a first circle there. Let's move forward here, Dave, if we could. Under this first circle, verse 1 through 5, write this down. I will worship because of His complete provision. He describes here so much of what, of what God did for him. It's an important circle. All the rev- nine references to personal pronouns. Look now with me in the next few verses. This second circle. Watch this. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. His deeds of the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's speaking now suddenly to, these, to His covenant people. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. 
He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You see all the us's in here? The we's and the us's of the word, the, the word those? Look at verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, He has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Here's why He has compassion. He knows how we are formed. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind blows it over and it's gone. Its place remembers it no more. But here's how God operates. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. Here's this second circle, what I call His, uh, His covenant people. Now, specifically and textually, He's speaking here about Israel. But applicationally, we can understand something here. There is an element to worship that's very effective when you gather with people who are rightly related to God along with you. It's important. That's why the church is comprised of those who belong to Christ. Not just anybody and everybody. Because we have a, a relationship with Christ that, that brings a certain thing to worship. And we're all together. It's amazing what can happen. He talks about that here. God's family of believers. Jot this down. We worship because of His covenant promises. And by the way, He made a covenant with Abraham, with David. Yes, still holds that for the Israelites. But watch this. As we read in communion time this morning, He says, this is the new covenant of My blood. Isn't that awesome that now there's no more a law covenant with you? But as a heathen, as a, as a foreigner brought in, you're brought in by the blood of Christ into His family. Man, what an awesome covenant. And God's love for you will never cease. That's that second circle. So this first circle of personal worship. Then there's this covenant worship place, this family worship. But then look how he closes out the psalm. Verse 19. We're going through it very quickly, but look at this. The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Not just you. Not just a family of believers, but everything. And I like what he does here next. Watch this. He begins to mention not just human things, but non-human things. He says, Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding. Here, he's speaking of, of angelic heavenly hosts. You who obey His word, praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts. You His servants who do His will. Praise the Lord, look at this, all His works. That's a probably an inanimate, reference to things that God creates that aren't human and aren't angelic, and yet they should lift their voice to praise His God as well. We do know that the Bible says that if we refuse to praise God at some point, the rocks will even cry out. Then he ends, he says, everywhere in His dominion. I love these few verses. You know why? Because it shows me something that I not only should praise God in my circle and in this circle of believers, but I should bring the whole... I should try to bring the whole world to a place where there's a worship of God. That'll happen one day, you know. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. What's the next phrase? Philippians 2. Of things under the sea, of things in heaven. It's not just about you and me, but one day everyone and everything will worship God. At that point, all will worship because of His controlling sovereignty. I was thinking of someone this morning. And they asked me to pray about something. And they mentioned in that the sovereignty of God. My mind thought immediately, you know what? That's an awesome reason to worship God. 
Because you know that regardless of what happens, He is in control. Three circles. My personal worship, my, my family of believer worship, and then this, this whole world worship. You say, Todd, which one brings me to a life of praise? Circle one. In fact, just jot this down as a big idea this morning from Psalm 103. Living a life of praise starts in the inner circle. I had a friend of mine one time, and you may have seen this. We were in church, and the pastor had us all stand. And he had us draw a circle around us. And he said, okay, guys, start there. You know, every day when we get up, to live a life of worship, we ought to do what David did here in Psalm 103. He said, Lord, I will praise You with my inmost being. All that I have will praise You for all of Your benefits. It all starts in the inner circle. That very first circle. And then when that is right, when that is operating properly, the other circles seem to fall into place. And I say to you, here this morning, if you find worship a struggle, and by that I mean the old definition of worship. When you come to the second circle, maybe the third circle, when you find that difficult, I would take the mirror principle first. Don't look out the window, but look in the mirror. Don't come to God with your hand out. Come to God with your heart open. Look at that circle. Starting every day in that circle prepares you for a life of worship. That's what we're after. Psalm 103 nails it. David knew it. I pray that over the next several weeks, as we look into the Psalms, that we will mirror Psalm 103. The inner circle, our family of believers, and the world. Can you bow your heads with me and let's pray as we close this morning.